If you've been with us, though, for the last several weeks and have been part of the series that we're in called Be the Answer, um, then this statement won't shock you that the world is in peril because we've been rehearsing all the ways that the world is in peril today and how in trouble things are. And if you're keeping an eye out for what's happening on a global scale, we have a lot to pray about. Um, There is actually a lot that you could be anxious about, but we're not anxious people, right? 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 Because we're not anxious people because we are kingdom people. Um, And in times of great peril, like we're in um, right now, the church must fully understand who they are and the place and the role, the unique role that God has for us to play um, in these times in which we live. We've been talking about the fact that every true believer, um, every true child of God has a role to play. Remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that no one sits this out. If you are in Christ, then you're going to be, if you don't walk into it, you're going to be dragged into everything that's going on. Um, because that's just the way of the world, and that's the way that we're going, and that's where we're headed. One way or another, every true believer um, is in this. But what's special about that is that every one of us has a specific role to play in the days in which we live. We're asking the question, do you know what your role is? Do you know what God has you to do? How he's uniquely gifted you, how he's uniquely um, equipped you to do all the things that he has for you to do. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. You are a chosen people. Let's, let's hear more than one amen on that, okay? <laughs> this is the word of God, and this is what God has to say to us today. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is so special to hear. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, we just did that this morning. But our lives are supposed to, to proclaim him and praise him for all that we are in him. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So here's what I want to just help you remember. Out of all the people, out of all the millions of people that have ever walked this planet, you and I have been chosen before the foundations of the earth to live in the times in which we're living today. You and I, the Bible tells us, and we have studied this, so it's not new to you, you and I have been equipped with special gifts and abilities designed specifically for you, special for you. God had you in mind to do these roles, to to perform certain tasks and certain roles in the world in which we live today. Not in the world of the cowboys and Indians. Okay, in today's world. Okay, right now you have been chosen. Now some of us might be like, why? (laughs) Why did you do that to us? We don't know the whys to that, except that God singled you out and said, I'm gonna call your name. I'm gonna open your heart to hear the truth about me and about your sin. And you're gonna give your heart to me and you're gonna receive the salvation that is mine to offer you. 
And then I'm going to use you in a powerful way in the times I'm going to plant you, which is the times that we're living in, the times of great peril that we're living in today. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's already got it worked out. We were talking backstage, okay, before this started. You can't miss God's will. If you're a child of God and you say yes to Jesus, you can't miss his will. The only way you can miss the will of God is if you'd like to decide to just dive into sin and defeat the Holy Spirit in your life by quenching him and grieving him. Other than that, if you say yes to the Lord and yes to my life is yours, you cannot miss what God has in store for you because it's his plan. So I hope that you're waking up to the fact that for such a time as this, you've been uniquely gifted to step into your role and live it out. Well, today um, is a special day. It's something we've like never done before here. And um, we're, so this is kind of an experiment. We have an, an open case study that we're going to do on this very thing that we're talking about. Um, we've got Rudy Yockum here. Um, Rudy is our um, U.S. Representative, representative to the U.S. Congress for the second district, right? And um, we're so thankful that you're representing us there. We have him here and his family is here. So um, Sally Ann, there, there's the family. Okay, Sally Ann, you guys... You guys want us to single you out and just make you all stand up? Do you want me to single them out and make them all stand up? All right, come on. Everybody stand up, okay? So this is Sally Ann and Elle and Rudy and Eliza. Is Eliza there? There she, come on, wave to me, Eliza. There she is right there, all right. And Sally Ann is actually um, teaching third grade at Elkhart Christian Academy, um, was principal for a while, elementary principal, and um, all the kids are at Elkhart Christian Academy. We're so glad that you guys are here um, with us today. And um, you ready to welcome this guy to our platform? Let's give him a big warm welcome. Okay, Rudy Yockham to our platform. All right, well, I'm gonna, um, I was asking Rudy when we were doing this, I said, okay, now this is our first time to ever do this, so what's your normal that you do when you, you know, get into churches and talk to people? And his, his response to me was, um, I don't know, we've never done this before. True story. <laughs> so here we are. And uh, what I want, before we get started, because this is gonna be like an interview format that we're gonna do, but it's really... I'm going to have be very free-flowing. Once he gets rolling, you'll understand why it's going to be very free-flowing. Um, but here's what I want you to understand, okay? You ready? You got your, you listening? You with me? This is not a political rally, okay? In fact, this is not political at all. Um, some of you might be thinking, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. This is a town hall meeting. No, it's not. We're not going to let you ask any questions. <laughs> with that? You all right with that? I'm, I'm on your program. Okay, very good. Um, here's our goal, okay? And um, this, I'm kind of talking to you right now and letting them in on this. Our goal is to hear your heart on what you, what you feel God has in store for you and what you're hoping to accomplish um, for the kingdom by serving in Congress. And in the mix of all of it, and we got a lot of things we're going to, topics we're going to try to accomplish and, and talk about today. Um, our goal is that somehow we get some advice and get some encouragement, some admonition to 
um, know how to live. How are we supposed to live? That's what our series is all about. How do we be the answer in the world in which God has us living? And so hopefully we're going to hear through Rudy's life story and his as he shares his life with us, as he shares his ministry with us, because you, you believe this is a ministry, um, and his work with us, how we can live in all of that, um, in our unique roles, okay? Is that clear? We all clear on that? All right, very good. So you ready to roll? Let's rock and roll. Let's go. Um, let's start with, um, just talk to us about your upbringing, because not everybody knows who you are. You know, we might know your face. We might know your hometown, Rudy. But other than that, we might not know your background and your story, and, and especially about your Christian faith. So tell us about that. Yeah, you bet. Well, first of all, let me just say uh, thank you, Pastor Phil, for having me here today. Um, the, the congregation here has been so welcoming, and there's a, a number of familiar faces, uh, some people we've known here for a few years. There's a, a few of you here. I was actually welcomed uh, at the door by my what was my first grade Sunday school teacher. Uh, your, your bass player here actually uh, uh, played the bass in our wedding. So there's a number of people that are wow. here that uh, we've known for quite a long time. And it's great to see so many familiar faces uh, with us. Uh, but in terms of my story, uh, Pastor, I'm a fourth generation Hoosier. My great grandfather came over from Eastern Europe to escape the Russian army. They were building bases in his town, preparing for World War I. And uh, he ultimately landed in South Bend. Got a job working at Studebaker, uh, building cars there. My grandfather worked at Uniroyal in Mishawaka. My dad's an entrepreneur. And, and I grew up on the south side of South Bend. I grew up in a conservative evangelical uh, family. Uh, my parents started going to New Life Church in Osceola when I was a year old. And 38 years later, same pastor, same family. We're still there. That's where we're raising uh, our th three children. We're selling and are raising uh, our three children. And um, you know, growing up in that conservative evangelical Christian home, we were in every Sunday in church type of a family. It was the kind of family that, you know, if you're getting ready for church and, you're, you know, dad, I don't feel well. It's a, well, throw up and prove it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now don't you feel better? Get in the car, we're going to church. Right? I mean, that is just the church that we grew up in. So yeah, having those deep, you know, conservative uh, evangelical roots is really just part of my upbringing. But I'll never forget sitting in, in church one, uh, one Sunday. It was actually a Sunday evening service. I was about seven years old, and, and the pastor was preaching a sermon on hell. And I remember thinking, I'm really glad I'm, I'm a every Sunday in church kind of person because that doesn't sound great. But then at the end of the service, I realized it, it's not about going to church. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's yep. not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And on that Sunday night, accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, uh, was baptized in our church. Um, and it's... And it's um, uh, just been an honor to, to serve in that church, even today as, as head usher uh, at, the, at the church. And um, so we were raised there. I was homeschooled, preschool all the way through high school, um, never went to, to public school or anything like that. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to get involved in the, uh, in, in the working world at a young age. Um, after high school, uh, really six months after high school, met Sally Ann, the love of my life, who um, has been, we've actually been dating now for over 20 years to uh, together, and she has been my, uh, my rock through life and through the many transitions and, and things that life uh, brings uh, our way. Um, but after high school, I uh, continued uh, working, went to undergrad at IU South Bend, studied business, economics, and finance, uh, eventually got an executive MBA from Notre Dame, um, was volunteering on political campaigns while also helping other people build companies and businesses. And along the way, met uh, my predecessor, uh, Jackie Walorski. Um, she was just such a, a dear friend of mine and 
as I think about coming up on August 3rd, the one year anniversary of, of her passing, uh, you know, definitely want to keep her family, particularly her husband, Dean, her mother, uh, Martha, uh, in our prayers. But met Jackie along the way, uh, quit my job while we were, uh, Jackie actually came up to the hospital to visit us. Uh, we were just giving birth to our second born, uh, Rudy the Fourth, and Jackie was holding uh, Rudy in the hospital and uh, we talked about me uh, leaving the job that I was in and end up working for her for a few years, was her finance director. Went back into uh, business after that, into commercial real estate, helped some folks build a company uh, over in, uh, in South Bend, and then ultimately worked here in Elkhart at a company called uh, Chemcrest. Uh, but along the way, was involved in uh, political campaigns, volunteering on races, a number of different folks, and just helping them with their races. Did a few different government service opportunities. Uh, was on our Indiana Judicial Nominating Commission. Uh, we were able to nominate Supreme Court justices. Uh, as well as the Indiana Finance Authority. So just really had a calling, long-time calling for public service. Uh, but then following, uh, you know, all of that, I was on a, a, an executive uh, retreat up in northern Michigan on August 3rd when uh, we received word that, uh, that Jackie was uh, tragically killed in that, uh, in that car accident. Uh, and then from there, just ended up answering what we believe to be a calling, stepped up to, to serve in, in U.S. Congress, and here we are, uh, here we are today. So I, I also want to recognize... Uh, someone else is with us, Griffin Nate, here on the front row. Uh, Griffin is my district director, uh, runs all of our district operations here. Uh, Griffin is also uh, someone that worked for Jackie. I was actually supposed to be with her in the car the day that she was uh, killed, and uh, he's become a, a, a dear, dear friend, and it's an honor to have uh, you here as, morning, as well as morning, Griffin. Wow, that's a lot. That is uh, 39 years as fast as I can just kind of put it right out there, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, we can see, like, you can see a definite path um, moving forward, but specifically, um, like, have you always had a goal to serve our nation in, in a political way like this? Is this something that's been in your mind all along? Like, I want to ask you, that, like, when they came to you, whoever they is, after um, the passing of Jackie, why did you say yes? Because in our minds, well, I won't include you. In my mind, who would want to jump into that, you know? And so talk to us about that. You know, just overall in the, in the course of my life, I've always had a, what I believe is a calling to serve capacity that you are called to serve in, no matter where that capacity is. It could be in a, in a public uh, arena, it could be in a private arena, it could be in the non-for-profit world. No matter the capacity you are called to serve in, you do it with the best of your abilities. And so, I mean, that's just been a, a core fundamental belief. But at the same time, I've had, you know, a lot of long-term concerns uh, for our nation and have, have worked principally behind the scenes to help people get elected who are people that I would share their values. And, uh, you know, this was something that uh, I certainly wish the, the circumstances within which I am occupying the seat that I'm occupying were wildly different. Never would have anticipated it to happen in the way that it did. Um, but but the, the perspective I have and the background I have, you know, two different tracks. One is that of an um, evangelical Christian, but the other one is that of someone who knows and understands business, understands how finance operates, understands how wealth is created, understands how people create jobs within our economy. And between those two things, my belief a year ago when we answered the call for this position was that those two perspectives, on top of being you know, a family person as well, those perspectives can be uh, perhaps useful at the, at the national stage, given some of the things that our nation is facing, whether it's significant budgetary issues or you know, international issues of, of conflict. Um, you know, those, things are, are, are those perspectives, I thought, could be useful and 
the, the people who elected me uh, agreed. And so I, I've, I've said for a long time, even since taking this job, Phil, that it was the right of the people of the second district to send me to this position. And if they don't like what the job I'm doing, it's their right to change their minds. I mean, that is how our representative republic works. And, um, you know, it's an honor to, to serve in this position. Are you going to get our finances fixed? Well, we are working on that. All I'm right, on the... Yeah, that's, uh, good. that's good. I, I serve on two separate committees in Congress, Transportation and Infrastructure, uh, as well as our House Budget Committee. And uh, we'll be able to, to drive some of that policy uh, from the Budget Committee. It's one of the single biggest concerns I have for our nation. Uh, it's actually our, our national debt. Wow. Okay, so um, what are some of your biggest surprises? So you get to Congress, right? I'm sure you had in your mind what you thought it was going to be. What were some of your biggest surprises when you got there? You know, I would say you don't know what you don't know until you actually get there. And you peek behind the curtain a little bit, and you just kind of poke your head back and say, ooh, what's over here? And, and I'll share a couple of, you know, probably two separate surprises. One of them is, as our founding fathers intended, the United States Congress, the 435 of us, specifically in the House, are a fundamentally good reflection on the American people. And that's good and bad, because it kind of tells you where our country's at in some regards. What I mean by that is, when you walk into Congress, you can find people who are so far to the right ideologically that they look to the right and they see no one. There are people who are so far to the left that they don't believe that communism goes far enough in controlling the hearts and minds of people. And there's everything in between. You have every religion represented in Congress. You have every system of thought, every ideology. You have um, people who are really, really smart. I mean, like, PhD in artificial intelligence in Congress. And you have people that care about all kinds of varying interests. So from that regard, the system as our founding fathers designed is working. The other thing I found is that the people who actually have the influence in Congress are very different than what I would have thought from the outside. And what I mean by influence is, is to me, real influence is the ability to walk into a committee chair's office and before a bill is introduced, have a conversation about the language of that bill. The people who I thought were the ones who have the influence are the people who, without naming names, we all see on national TV yelling about the topic of the day, topic du jour. Those are not the people who actually have the real influence in Congress. The real influence comes from people who are willing to do the hard work of understanding what are we actually voting on? What does this policy really do? We show up to committees ready to go, having read all the policy briefings, having actually read the legislation and understand, understanding what it is we're voting on. The people who can come together and actually put the amendments and the bills together in a thoughtful way that can actually become law. Those are the people that have the real influence in Congress, and it's actually much more so the way I'm oriented. I mean, you don't necessarily see me yelling on national TV. We do a lot of local media here. But right now, our focus is on passing fundamentally good legislation out of the House. And so the people who have the influence are not the ones you think they are. And the other surprise is the U.S. Congress is fundamentally a good reflection on the American people. Okay, so um, <laughs> now that you've been there a while, um, you still think Christians ought to go into it and be part of it? I do. And that there, you, you can actually, as a Christian, and... We use the word evangelical, and what that means is that we believe in there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so um, being that man, um, and I know you're a strong evangelical believer, um, and you're passionate about your faith, um, is it worth it? I mean, should you be in there, and are there others that are with you? I would say it is absolutely worth it, and there are many others who are who are with us. Yeah, I would say that as believers, one of the things that we have to remember is that we were founded on the principles of a Christian nation, and that is evidence everywhere you look in our in our government. I mean, you start by um, looking at things like um, the fact that if you pull out money from your pocket, it still says "In God We Trust," and may it always say "In God We Trust." When the settlers came over here, the first thing they did was erected a cross. When you go into the nation's capital and you go in, you walk into the rotunda, you see symbols, um, you, you know, you see the paintings that some of our founders and some of the early people who designed the capital thought were most important to put in the capital rotunda. You see things like the embarkation of the pilgrims where they were opening the Bible and they were praying before they left. And you can see on the top left corner of the painting on the sail where it says, God with us. You can see things like the baptism of Pocahontas on the wall of the Capitol Rotunda. And so we were founded on these principles. You see things like you walk into the house chamber where we cast our votes and above the chamber, it says, in God we trust. You look around the top of the house chamber and there are, I don't know, maybe 30 or so half faces of people who influenced U.S. law over the course of 5,000 years. There is one person in the house chamber that has afforded a full face, and that's the original lawmaker, the face of Moses. Everywhere you look, even inside the Capitol building, are symbols of faith and symbols of Christianity. So you start with knowing that we built this government. When I say we, we the American people, we the states built our federal government from a perspective of Christian faith. And so it's from that perspective, I think that we need to lead as a nation, but I also believe it calls us as believers to be more involved. In a representative republic, the republic belongs to the people who are involved. And the more we are involved, the more that we can positively influence the overall direction of the country, the better I think that we are. And when I got to Congress, the other thing I found, Phil, is that there are a number of other, a surprisingly high number of believers that are in Congress. I mean, I'm a part of two different, two separate Bible studies on a weekly basis in, in Congress. One that meets on Wednesday mornings, one that meets on Thursday mornings. And the staff that I have in, in DC is always conscious of our scheduling to make sure that I can attend at least one of those on a weekly basis. And so knowing that and having other believers that are there makes it substantially easier to get through the week. Uh, but the other thing I would say is the only reason that believers are there is because number one, believers chose to stand up and serve and answer the call. And number two, there are other believers in our districts that stand alongside us and stand behind us. One of the best feelings that I get in Congress is when you're, when you're leading and you're running and you're trying to do the right thing and then you look behind you and you see an army of people standing behind you. That's one of the things that makes it easy to get up the next day and do your job. Is it safe to say it's hard to stand for Christ there? You know, what I would say it's safe to say is when you go to, to a place like U.S. Congress, you had better know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, there are plenty of people out there that are happy to tell you who you are. Right? And I see it all the time. There are people who, who go out there and they're, they're just kind of blown by the wind. 
So, so what I would say is, whoever you are will definitely come out when you get there. So if you're someone who you know, isn't blown by the ways of the world, isn't tempted by, you know, everyone's tempted, even Christ was tempted. But if you don't easily succumb to the things that, um, you know, the ways of the world, then, you know, you, it's a fairly easy to stand strong and, and just all I have to, you know, for, for those of us who are strong believers, all we have to do is just be ourselves. If you just show up and be yourself, um, you can walk in and, and, and do fine. But if you're confused about who you are, it's not going to be an easy road for you out there. Can we let's can we sit there for just a second? You bet. Is it easy to stand for Christ in the world that we're living in today? I mean, to make a bold stand for Christ. You may be in a situation at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, that's very hard to stand for Christ. Very hard to make a bold stand. What I mean by that is to be verbal with your faith and to make it obvious that you are a man or a woman of faith. Um, what advice do you have for us? Okay, so that's what you're doing. Um, because there's, we've been talking about this, how um, everyone here knows that I'm a truther. Okay, so I'm having to grow in grace. Because, um, and there are people that are full of grace and need to grow in truth. Right, and we all need to be like Jesus, who is completely balanced in grace and truth. But part of the part of being a truther is learning how, and that's and growing in grace is when you learn how to speak the truth in love, rather than just speak the truth. And so there's this wrestling match that we have with. I have our our family here comes to me all the time and and asks questions. You know, how do I do this in my family? How do I do this at work without being offensive? So. How do you do it at work without being offensive or being marked as a radical so that maybe and maybe marginalized because of that? You know, I would start with what are we as believers called to do? What are we called to be? We're called to be holy. Then you just kind of unpack that layer by layer. What does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. What does set apart mean and what, did, what it, does it not mean? Set apart does not mean isolated. And a lot of times we, we as believers make the, I believe it's a mistake, of thinking that set apart means to be isolated from the world. That's not what it means. To me, what it means is weird to live in such a way that non-believers know that there's something different about us. They can look at our hearts and see there's something different about that person. And I want to know what it is. The world has searched for all kinds of answers. People look for answers in, in money. They look for fulfillment in success. They look for fulfillment in achievement. They look for fulfillment in promotion. But after all of that, they come up void and empty. The answer is Jesus Christ. So for us as believers, it's to live in a way that people want to know what is the answer to that void. I also believe that it starts with how we treat other people. The example of how we treat other people is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got upset and angry and impatient. By my understanding of scripture, and you could read the life of Christ, you know, Matthew through John, 
my understanding of scripture is that Jesus got upset with one class of people, and that is self-righteous religious people who thought they were better than everybody else. Our job as believers in Jesus Christ is to build bridges. What's easy to do is to look at something that we don't like, someone that we disagree with, someone that's different than we are, particularly as a non-believer, expect them to act as though they were believers and throw bricks at their way of thinking. What's hard to do is to use those bricks to build a bridge for the sake of the gospel. And so what I choose to do, and this is, I mean, this is deeply rooted. And so this is the way I've lived my life, um, you know, for a long, long time is to build bridges to non-believers through whether it's involvement in the community, whether it's involvement in the workplace, whether it's involvement uh, in, it could be extended family, could be any number of things. Build bridges for the sake of the gospel. Live in such a way that they see that there's something different and they wanna know what it is. And so for me, pastor, it's just been taking that system of thought and continuing that on the trajectory of what I do in U.S. Congress. That's so good, isn't it? Because that's, We've been talking about, yeah, amen. We've been talking in this series that we've been in, uh, we've been talking about how to shine the light, right? And so, um, like last week, we talked about the world is going to hate us. And Jesus said, if, if... if they hated me, so they're going to hate you, and the world's going to persecute you and, and put some of you to death. And that, that's those hard words to hear. And we talked about, um, we asked the question, how do you know, how do they know who to hate? Okay, well, <laughs> we talked about this at your house the other day. Um, we don't want them to hate us because we're throwing bricks at them, right? Um, but they, they know who to hate They know because our light the way that we're living in righteousness and in love for those who don't know the Lord, our light exposes their darkness. And because it exposes their darkness, they don't like that. And so they will hate us for that. But we hope that, and we don't expose the darkness in a, in a brick-throwing way. We expose the darkness in a loving way. Just like Jesus, um, you were talking about the woman at the well the other day when we were talking about that, and, and the woman caught in adultery. Jesus did not condemn. In fact, she said, I'm not condemning you. Um, where, are your, where are your accusers? Well, they're not here anymore. Well, I don't accuse you either. Now just go stop your sinning. Well, see the truth? <laughs> the truth and the grace in both of those things is how we need to be living. And the light, the result of light shining in darkness is it exposes the deeds of the dark. And so some will hate us for that, but others. See, this is where our influence is. Our light will shine in their hearts and they will see Jesus and they will come to him and they will experience him. You know, our goal is, and we prayed, um, a group of us in the back before we came on, is that someone sitting here today in our midst or wherever you are joining us online, that someone who doesn't know Jesus as their savior um, we'll find Jesus today just because of what we're talking about or at least be more curious to ask more questions about who is this Jesus and how can I live in light, in the light like these people are. That's our prayer is that everyone will come to Christ and through the way we live, right? That's right. And that's what you're doing on Capitol Hill. Yeah, that's right. right. We, we try to live in a way that it attracts others to Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, is it, is it hard to do? Of course it's hard. You know, the, the only things in life that are worth doing are hard. 
the easy things, you know, I don't know that they're worth doing. I mean, it, to me, the, the only things that, that have ever really truly attracted me in life are things that are hard. I run to things that are hard, whatever it is. And living for Christ, of course, it's hard. But I think the journey is worth it. Amen, amen. Okay, so let's just stay there. <laughs> you want to be a leader, and you are a leader, okay? And you have a sphere of influence there that I hope is growing. We all hope is growing. We're going to pray that it's growing. Um, how do you lead in a divided government? You know, leading in a divided government is all, it's also one of those things that's hard. You know, what we have to understand is in divided government, and so let's just walk through exactly what that means. Republicans control the House. Democrats control the Senate. And when I say we control the House, I would say barely. Right? We have a five-seat majority. Democrats control the Senate barely. They have a few couple-seat majority. And Democrats also have a president in the White House. So you have to start, I mean, I think whether it's divided government or any other position in life that you're in, understanding exactly the position you occupy. And in our position, we control one half of one-third of U.S. government. So in that regard, we never get everything we want. You just don't. What I think we have to do is, it's a couple of things. Number one, our role and our job is to pass fundamentally good legislation out of the House. And sometimes the Senate takes it up and sometimes they don't. That is our reality. But at the same time, you have things that are what we might call a must-pass bill. And when you have things that have to get through, that have to become law, period, end of story, yeah, I think that what the American people expect of us and what they elected was for us to negotiate with each other. You have to be willing to, to negotiate while at the same time never compromising on your principles. We have certain principles that cannot be compromised, certain things that cannot are, are, are non-starters. But at the same time, you have to be willing to negotiate. And you know, I think part of it also is, is having you know, relationships with, with other people. And, and, that, and I am not afraid to say it. I've got relationships that we built in U.S. Congress with, with Democrats. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think it's, um, you know, we, we ought to be able to have a conversation with each other about the direction that we think the country should go. We may not always agree on the direction that the country should go. But you have to be able to talk about it in a way that's that's non emotional um, without without uh, punching each other in the without face. Without punching each other in the thing, face, right? I mean, that's exactly that's, right. That's what yeah. it seems like on the outside looking in. That's what it seems like. But you know, we we're I know that we're cheering for you, right? We're we're cheering for him that you guys can bridge those relationships. I'm not even talking Christianity now, just in policy, um, to do what's best for the American people, to, for our nation, uh, to move forward in a healthy way, and. Um, Wow. You ready for this one? Um, Lay it so, on me. Here we go. This should be good. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one here. <laughs> Got in too deep, I guess. <laughs> so help us with understanding. Help us, okay? Understanding like our, the First Amendment clause, um, I'm getting to this whole thing about Jefferson's words of um, the wall of separation between the church and the state. And how does, that, how does that work and how should we understand that as we think through what's happening in our world? You know, if, you, if you look at the Establishment Clause in the U.S. Constitution, I mean, First Amendment, I'm assuming that's what you're, what you're talking about. It was actually authored by James Madison, um, and then Thomas Jefferson later said, there shall be a separation of church and state, which I think, by the way, 
the concept of separation of church and state is one of the most misunderstood concepts in our nation. What it meant, because I'm an originalist from a constitutional perspective, meaning that I believe that the Constitution and the words that are in the Constitution say what the framers meant them to say at the time that they were written. So just be very clear on my constitutional views. Um, And as a part of the First Amendment, the reason that they wrote the Establishment Clause is because if if you rewind the tape, go back to England, go back to a lot of countries in Europe, the state established a religion within the country. And they said, this is the religion of our country. The reason that many of the settlers and pilgrims fled and came to America was because they wanted freedom of religion. And so what they didn't want is for what happened in Europe to happen here in the United States. So that what they prevented was they prevented the federal government from establishing a religion within, a formal religion within the states. What they did not prevent, and rightfully so, is those of us who are believers from being involved in influencing the overall direction of the country. That is a misnomer. And, and, I, and I walked through earlier the, the evidence of, of how you know, we were founded as a, as a uh, nation of values, we were founded as a nation of, of believers, and it's up to us as believers to be involved. As a matter of fact, there's plenty of case law. I mean, even a number of Supreme Court rulings over the course of the last, let's say, 20 years or so, that, that um, people went and argued of, of any time the state is involved in any type of religious activity. Let, you know, let's just say, um, you know, it could be something like school vouchers or school choice or, or anything that's, that's relating to religion. You know, people make the argument that that's a separation of church and state issue, violates the Establishment Clause, and almost pretty well every single time, the U.S. Constitu- or the, the U.S. Supreme Court says that's not what that means. It means that you can't establish a formal religion. It does not apply to those of us who are a part of the church, a part of Bible-believing Christians, from being involved in our federal government. We should be, and I think that we should be involved at every level of government. You know, whether it's the um, you, you know the federal government or the state government or local government or school boards. I think it's up to us to be involved in the place that we see opportunities to get good people elected, period, end of story. So should we vote? Absolutely, we should vote. Not only should we vote, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna rewind the tape from like what typically happens in November. How many of you, and if you wanna out yourselves, you can raise your hands. How many of you sometimes get to November and you look at the choice between two candidates and you say, I don't like either one of these choices? That happens all the time, right? But what we sometimes fail to do is to understand how we get to those two candidates. Those two candidates, the the candidates that go on the ballot are not chosen in a very broad sense by the American people. They are chosen by political parties. And so, and they are chosen through a primary system in May in Indiana. What I encourage Christians to do, and, and this is whether, look, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, this is not a political statement. I encourage believers to be involved in the political primary process. In the state of Indiana, you know, it varies between, let's say, 15 or 16 and up to 21, 22, 23% of people actually, of eligible voters, 20%-ish, actually show up and vote in primaries. And so what that means is, when people in a room like this show up and vote in primaries, you have an outsized influence in who the candidate is in the fall. 
Christians by and large across the country have a disproportionately high percentage of people that vote in primaries. I think that's a good thing. And so I encourage people to vote not only in a general election, but vote in primaries. I also encourage people, look, run for office. You know, what's easy, and we talked about this earlier, what's easy to do is to throw a brick at the way that things are being done. What's hard to do, and this is not easy, it's not easy to do personally, it's not easy to do professionally, it's not easy to do with a, with a family. What's hard to do is to step up and put yourself out there to run for office. That's hard. So I encourage people to do that. I encourage people to get behind good candidates and, and encourage them to run for office and then go support them. You know, they, and it takes a lot of things to do to, to go and support people. So we, we, it could be anything from you know, volunteering on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a race, but you know, one of the things I appreciate most is when people just stop and say, hey, we're praying for you. Because it, no one ever says, we're praying for you, and they don't mean it. That's a, that's a genuine it's a genuine statement of faith and it's a genuine connection. So when people stop and say, Rudy, we're praying for you. We, my family and I, we appreciate that more than we could ever possibly convey. And because we're in church, let's talk about prayer, okay? Because that, that's like, our, you've heard me say this before, it is our greatest tool that we have. It's our most powerful tool that we have in our arsenal um, is to pray. Because when we pray, the scripture says, even if you don't know what to pray, even if you're weak in your prayer, don't worry about it, God says. I'll take care of it. The Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf according to the will of God. And so we need to just, and we're going to pray over you at the end here today, but hopefully you'll write Rudy and Sally Ann and all the kids' names down and you'll, you'll just like put them on your regular prayer list. I know how powerful that is when we pray because when we release prayer in the physical Something awesome happens in the spiritual on, for, on our, our behalf and for us. And um, safe to say you need a lot. We do need a lot of prayer. Yeah. Okay, total downshift. I'm looking at time and everything else, you know, because we're going to do good today. Right. We are. We're only going to probably go 30 minutes over time instead of, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes over time. We'll just run right through the start of the next service. Yeah, yeah, right. okay. Are you guys okay so far? Yeah. You enjoying this? Is this beneficial? Okay, um, so uh, this is huge to me, and I know it is to you in your heart, and I can't wait for them to hear. But talk to us about the importance of um, the United States relationship, actually anybody's relationship with Israel. And um, how do you support that from your position, and what influence do you have, if any, on that? You know, to me, the relationship between the United States and Israel is, is so deeply rooted in my faith. It goes all the way back to close to the beginning of Genesis. And I think it's Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God says that he will be, it's a promise he made to Abraham, uh, the founding of the nation, where he says he will be a friend to those who are a friend to Israel and he will curse those who curse Israel. So that for me is, it it starts with being deeply rooted in my faith. Um, But one of the things that I learned um, from, actually from Jackie uh, 10 or 12 years ago uh, there's an organization called APAC um, that really helps run the political relationship between the United States and Israel. Got deeply involved in APAC about five or uh, seven years ago now, um, and actually traveled to Israel with the American Israeli Education Foundation about five years ago. Was able to see firsthand the things that they deal with from a geopolitical perspective. Went through a lot of the Christian sites that are there, and and you know saw the streets that uh, one street in particular that Jesus walked on. Um, saw 
so many of the, of the so much of the historical uh, and Christian uh, heritage that is uh, rooted, obviously, deeply in Israel. Uh, but I spent a, a number of years serving on APAC's National Council, helped even before I came to Congress in advocating for um, a pro-U.S.-Israel relationship uh, through members of Congress that I had relationships with or through U.S. senators that I had a relationship with. Uh, but now, more, even more formally, uh, as a member of Congress, I'm able to stand shoulder to shoulder with Israel, our undeniably our best friend in the Middle East. And the Middle East, let, let's be clear, it's a rough neighborhood. You got people like Iran, you have Iraq, uh, you have um, Syria, kind of all right surrounding Israel. And then you have kind of a lone beacon of hope and faith in the nation of Israel that's right smack in the Middle East. And so there's things that we do um, formally that do things, we sign on to legislation that helps hold Iran accountable for their malign interest against Israel. Um, you know, we do things like f- help facilitate cooperation with Israel, whether it's economic cooperation or military cooperation with Israel. Um, I'll actually be traveling to Israel later on this year. Uh, there's a, a freshman member trip uh, that, that is put together uh, that will be going on uh, later this year. Sally Ann will, uh, will be joining me on that trip to Israel. And so uh, it'll probably be 40 or so freshman members that'll be on that, uh, on that trip. So making sure that that relationship from the United States perspective always and forever stays strong and fundamentally solid is something that is, uh, is core to who I am. And uh, it's an honor to play a role, a very, very small role in that overall relationship. That's good. So what are the things that, um, as you serve, are weighing heavy, most heavily on your mind and on your heart um, in that whole arena? Yeah, you know, I would say, I would start with back home. I mean, obviously, and I do a lot of traveling. Um, look, I commute to work. We live here actually in Elkhart County, on the northwest side of Elkhart County. Um, as was mentioned earlier, my wife is a third grade school teacher at Elkhart Christian. And, you know, I, and I fly through Charlotte most Mondays and connect into D.C. and you're away from the family for three days uh, at a time, three or four days at a time. So being away from family is something that weighs heavily on my mind, first of all. Um, And I would say that our our team has done a great job. I mean, Griffin and uh, Mariah, our D.C. operations director, uh, they do actually do a weekly Zoom call with Sally Ann and they walk her through the next couple of weeks of our schedule. She's able to take dates that, um, that we need to be there for the kids and put those on the calendar. Um, so, so I would just say you know, the family weighs heavily on my mind back home here. Uh, but then in terms of our, of our nation, you know, probably the two single biggest things that weigh heavily on my mind for our nation is our, is our national budget and our federal debt. I mean, we are 31 and a half, approaching $32 trillion of federal debt. We're adding a trillion and a half to up to $2 trillion per year. And, and a trillion is a, is a number that's almost like impossible to comprehend. I mean, it's just incomprehensible, the, the amount of money that that really is. And so um, being able to help restore fiscal responsibility to Washington is, is something that, that is really of paramount importance to me. Uh, I'm someone who actually requested, uh, my first choice was House Ways and Means Committee, but without going too deep into policy here, um, I requested as my backup option the House Budget Committee. Most people are sentenced to the House Budget Committee. I, I mean, I actually requested it. And as a member of the House Budget Committee, uh, you know, I get to fly to Washington and sit in a room and go through what is projected to be $16 trillion of national debt, additional debt, over the course of the next 10 years and work on plans for how we're going to actually solve that. How are we going to bend the curve 
our direction and actually leave a better fiscal nation for our children than the one that we inherited. The other big concern I have nationally uh, and internationally is, is China. Uh, you know, China, they do everything from steal our intellectual property, they cheat on trade, they cheat on their currency, um, they openly spy on us. We saw with the little, small little balloon, more than a small balloon that floated across our entire uh, continent. Uh, there's a number of things with China that I have, have deep fundamental concerns uh, about. You know, they're threatening to invade Taiwan. I'm not sure that the American people psychologically are ready for exactly what it means if China invades Taiwan. I mean, this is not a good thing at all for us militarily. Um, we're ready for it, but the consequences of something like that are dire. And so we watch that with very, very active interest, uh, what China is doing, not only in their region, but also uh, around the globe. So between our budget and China, those are probably the two biggest international concerns, national international concerns I have. And then domestically, our education system is probably a third uh, third one that I have as well. Gotcha. Okay, so um, we're going to land the plane here soon. What do you want to say to us? So you, this is your first one to do, right, uh, in a one, church. Yeah. So you got a bunch of hungry people, um, not physically hungry, right? But they're, they're, you're, they're hungry for truth, and I know them enough to know, you know, what do you want to say to them? that would inspire them to go out and shine their light for Jesus? You know, first of all, thank you. Let me just say thank you for showing up today. Thank you for, for interest. Thank you for surrounding our family with your love, with your support. Um, I know that a number of you who um, are actively involved at ECA are always surrounding Sally Ann and our children with your love and support. Thank you to those of you who, who do that. Uh, you know, I would also say, look, from a perspective of Christian faith, Bloom where you're planted. You know, God has each of us in a specific role for a specific purpose. No matter where that is, you can influence someone for good. You can influence someone for Jesus Christ. And so much of what happens in our faith is life on life. It is one person impacting another person for the sake of the gospel. If you're doing that, continue doing that. If you're not doing that, start doing that. So, so that, that's really what I, would, uh, what I would say. And the other thing I would, I would add to that is, is, is get involved. And, and getting involved can mean different things to different people, whether it's getting involved in your community, but also getting involved in, in our political system and, and showing up and voting for the right people, doing your homework, doing your research, understanding when you walk in to vote, whether you're voting for president of the United States, or you're voting for dog catcher, or anything in between. Know who it is you're voting for. That takes time, takes effort, takes energy, it takes resources. We do not live in a country that, and this is very different from other countries, in other countries, they, they live in this, under this environment where who rules over them is not up to them. That's not the case here in the United States. We walk into a voting booth and we make a decision on who leads our communities and who leads our nations. I think it's incumbent upon us to uh, make sure that we're being very proactive in, in who, who leads us. I just want to make it clear, you're only talking to the elite Christians in the room, right? Like the, <laughs> you're only talking to the people that are like super serious about being a Christian. You're not talking to everybody here that claims Christ as their savior, right? I'm talking to everybody here. 
I'm, I'm talking to the whole crowd. No, seriously, I, you're, we're only talking to the people that are really serious about it. I mean, it's not, it's not practical, right? It's not practical to think that every person who calls on the name of the Lord as their Savior to be involved. I, you know, I would, I would disagree, and I'll tell you why. I can disagree with your pastor, right? Yes, you can. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. To vote twice per election cycle, there's an hour. To do the research on who are all the people that you're walking in and voting for, there's another couple of hours. And, and as an American, I think we have a fundamental obligation to do those two things. Amen. To vote and to do the research and understand who it is we're voting for. That's two to three hours a year at a minimum. And then you can decide if you want to get more involved from there. And what I tell people is, you know, some of the, um, let's just share a quick story with you. Um, you know, one time I was talking with someone, they were just absolutely complaining about who was elected to these three or four offices. And I said, um, great, did you vote? Well, no. I rest my case, right? <laughs> I'm tongue-in-cheeking that, you know, and talking about that because I think sometimes many of us in the body of Christ don't think we have anything to contribute. We don't, you know, it's like there are certain people that are called to, to serve um, and to, to serve Jesus in our world, in our nation, in our community, and I just am going to float through the rest of my time here I don't know you well enough to say this, okay? Say anything you want, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, who's Rudy Yakum, really? Right? Who's Phil Byers, really? I mean, does it freak you out that you're, you're a player on the national stage? You know, I, I don't know that, that it freaks me out as much as it is. You have to go into it eyes wide open, clear-eyed, eyes downrange, no one understanding what you're getting into. But it's also, there's, a, there's such a special feeling when you think about the fact that since the founding of our nation, there have only been around 11,000, 11 to 12,000 people that have had the honor, the privilege of serving in the role that I do. And when, when I walk up to the steps of the Capitol building and you look at the Capitol Dome, there, there's just a, such a, a feeling of, of overwhelming, almost emotion that comes over you, knowing that in this second congressional district, there are roughly 750,000 people. And that's about average, about 750,000 people per congressional district across the country. And every time I walk onto the House floor and I take a vote, I'm very cognizant of the fact that that one vote represents the interest of 750,000 people. And you can never forget that. And I've told my team, I, I've shared even with, with, with Griffin and, and my, my family, if I ever forget that, just tell me it's time to go home. If I forget the number of people I represent, if I forget how special it is and how much of an honor it is to walk in and represent your interests and many others, if you forget that, it's time to go home and do something else. But it doesn't freak me out as much as it is keeps my eyes fixed on Christ, but also downrange and clear-eyed. But it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a big deal that God has entrusted this role for you in your life but I want to say this to every single person sitting here and hearing my voice right now. It's a big deal where he has you. Yeah. 
In fact, I promise you, and you back me up on this, okay? Don't disagree with me on this one. <laughs> we'll see what I, he says. <laughs> yeah, I promise you that some of us, though we think we don't have much of a role to play, have a higher influence for the kingdom because we can, we can lead more people to Jesus in the environment we're at with our role than maybe Rudy can because it's so difficult where he is and it is so divided and it is so partied out. And what I'm hoping that we go all the way back to where we started this morning, that God has a plan for you and for me. Every one of us, no matter where we are, I loved how you said, bloom where you're planted because God has you where he has you. You know, we can all be like, ooh, I'd really serve the Lord if I was, in, if I was Rudy, if I was in Congress. Well, what's wrong with really serving the Lord right now, right where you are? And the Lord will like open doors for you of opportunity if you just say yes to that and walk that. That's what Rudy has done. I hope you hear through his story today that Rudy has just said yes to the Lord. All along the path, you can see, if you listen to his story, you can see how God has prepared him, prepared him, prepared him, prepared him. But he needs us. Um, he needs our prayers. He needs our support. And um, Sally Ann, we love you and we love your family and they need our love, they need our prayers, and they need our support. Because I know this is a huge, take, your family's taken a huge hit to let you serve in this capacity. And um, we wanna pray for you in that way. But um, we're gonna close right now with just praying for you guys as a congregation. And so what are just like the top two things you want us to pray about? And you might get ready to write this down so that you can remember this, um, to be praying for them. What would you like us to pray about specifically this morning? I'll give you two things. You know, one you just mentioned, that is my family. Uh, you know, this is not an easy role on a family. It's, and that's not a complaint. That's just a statement of fact. And so I would say pray for continued strength for our family. You know, some people think about it as work-life balance. I think of it as work-life integration. And we've really integrated the family into this role. So pray for continued family strength, especially for Sally Ann. And then the other thing I would ask your prayers for is for wisdom. You know, the Bible says that God gives wisdom to all who ask, and he gives it freely. But the condition is you do have to ask. And so I pray daily for wisdom, and I would ask your prayer for wisdom, pray for clarity of mind. You know, some people think that the right decision is always instantly there, and there are so many things that go so deep into the policy weeds that the right decision is not always instantly clear on some of the stuff that's maybe even a little bit more non-controversial. So just pray for, for wisdom, pray for clarity of mind, and pray for my family. Those are probably two or three things I would request of you. All right. You ready to do that? Robin, would you bring Sally Ann and the kids up here? And um, let's just join them right down here. Has this been helpful? It's been enjoyable? I hope so. Um, amen. Let's just all go ahead and stand and um, come on up here, you guys. We'll just get around you. And um, you want to extend a hand to them is symbolic of um, our support and, um, and our prayer for them right now as we pray. Lord, um, first of all, I want to thank you for who you are and the fact that you have called all of us, that you've you visited us at some point along the path of our lives and 
you opened up your, um, your spirit to us and your spirit opened up our hearts to truth, to the truth of our need of a savior. And I thank you for that. I'm just so appreciative of my salvation. And I thank you for the story um, that you have in this family represented here and uh, specifically in Rudy's life, how you have um, kept your hand on him his whole life. You've prepared him for what he's doing now as he leads in our nation. And he needs you, like we all do. But he needs a special dose of wisdom um, to be able to stand for truth, for righteousness, um, the harder, as it gets harder there in our nation's capital. So help him with that. Um, he's asking you, he's asking us to ask you for wisdom. And I know he asks for wisdom all the time. And we love the fact that you don't look down on us when we need wisdom and we ask for it. But instead, you just dump it out. So I pray that you'll just pour out supernatural wisdom um, to him, first of all, as a man of God. Give him the strength and wisdom to say no to the things of his own sinful desires, but to the temptations all around him. Give him the strength to say, um, nope, nope, that's not appropriate. I will not follow that path. Give him the wisdom um, to say yes to righteousness all the time. Keep him pure. Keep him strong. Don't let the devil have a foothold at all. I pray for the family, this whole family, that you will keep them safe from the attack of the, the evil one. That, um, that you'll protect them while he's gone. That you'll wrap your arms around them and strengthen them while Rudy's serving. I want to pray that you'll give him wisdom as he leads um, in his family, as he leads in his, in his sphere of influence there in Washington. Um, help him to stand when it's hard to stand. Give him people strong. I'm, I'm so thankful we have other believers there, uh, strong believers that he can stand with, that he can study the Bible with, that they can strengthen each other and encourage each other um, to stand for righteousness. But more than anything, Lord, I ask for favor that you'll give him um, favor in his home, uh, favor in your church, and favor in our government, um, that he can be used mightily. I, I ask that you would use him in such a way that if scriptures were being written today, that they would tell the story of how this one man um, who gave his heart completely to you was used powerfully to turn a nation. We pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for the salvation of those in our government that do not know you, that are at the highest levels, that are making decisions. Um, I pray that our president would turn his heart towards you and that he would lead this nation to righteousness, that he would lead us to repentance and that he would um, turn our hearts back to you and the hearts of the fathers back to you. And um, that, that is our desire, Lord, and so that's what we ask for. But I thank you for Rudy and Sally Ann, for their family. I thank you for the influence that you've given to them. Um, just increase it, Father, and bless them. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys so much. And um, God bless you.
And what we're gonna do is we're gonna hang out here in the front. So if you wanna come up afterwards and talk to Rudy or talk to the family, we're, we're not gonna go out into the commons. We're just gonna kind of hang out here. So if you wanna come up and talk, feel free to. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team will be down here in the front. If you wanna talk about anything that's going on in your, in your life as usual, we would love to, to um, help you with that. God bless you. Let's go out with a smile on our face and love in our hearts for each other and for the world. Um, we'll see you next week.